Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls No Podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com. So long time no podcast episode or update. Things have been a little busy, actually very busy here at Clever Girl Finance HQ. And that's because we've been spending our time working on restructuring and rebranding our platform, which we just launched today. And I would love for you to head over to clevergirlfinance.com and check it out. It has been a labor of love. My team has worked really hard to put this amazing new platform together. And it has been based on all the incredible feedback that you guys have been giving us as you have used Clever Girl Finance and have um, engaged with our course content. And so we just relaunched today. I'm super excited about it. I think it looks amazing. And I believe that you guys will feel the same way. And with our relaunch, we have also made a free course available to help you as you work on improving your finances. So definitely head over to clevergirlfinance.com and check it out. Like I said, this is really exciting for us. We took all the feedback that you guys have given to us and created this incredible brand new platform. So head over to clevergirlfinance.com, check it out, and then tell me what you think. So um, I will be recording an update episode in a few episodes just to share with you guys what my summer has been like and what has been going on with Clever Girl Finance. But in the meantime, my guest today is Michelle Bobrow, and she is a podcast listener and also a financial expert. And on today's episode, um, Michelle, who is also the founder of The Holistic Wallet, talks about her personal story with finances and why traditional advice is overwhelming and what she did and what you can also do to change your bad money habits without being overwhelmed by all the financial information that you're getting. So Michelle started out working in the financial industry with a job that she took on to pay off her student loans. And while she was working, she got to experience some behaviors by the financial industry that she didn't like. And she felt like these behaviors were setting people up to fail unless you knew how to beat the financial industry um, at their own game. She also found that traditional financial advice didn't work for her despite the fact that she was super careful with her money And this was because she felt like the advice was overly complicated, which a lot of times it is. And so on this episode, Michelle shares her personal money story, how she started working in the financial industry, um, what she learned there, and why she decided to change paths to help people improve their finances. She talks about how traditional financial advice can be overwhelming, how to manage the complexity, and what you can do to simplify your financial life, including the things that she did for herself that have helped her. And she also talks about how to feel inspired to make the change necessary to build real wealth. I had a lot of fun laughing with Michelle, as I do on many of these episodes. It's all about just making this topic light and fun because at the end of the day, money is a really heavy topic. And if you cannot laugh about it, I'll tell you that you will just end up crying and we don't want that, right? So um, I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode. But before we dive in, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. And if you love this podcast, please spread the word and tell your friends about it. And finally, like I mentioned earlier, head over to clevergirlfinance.com and check out our new platform. And again, tell your friends about that too, if you love what you see, and I know that you will. So enjoy this episode with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Hi, Mola. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here to talk about why traditional financial advice does not work (laughs) (laughs) and some of your personal experience. 
Yes, I have plenty of that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Michelle? So I'm Michelle Bobrow. I founded The Holistic Wallet, where I help the more creatively inclined women uh, practice great financial habits so that the money that they work so hard to earn can actually be used towards the things they love, not just like that feeling that it's just leaking out everywhere. So I've... I've been in the personal finance world for several years now, and it's always still like this learning process for me too. I'm always learning something new and, and finding something new out about myself and how I feel about money and, and all that stuff. And yeah, I'm just not a big fan of the traditional money advice. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, where does that come from? Like, what is your personal story with money? Um, like, why did you get into this whole holistic part of personal fi- finance? Why are you anti-traditional financial advice? And we're going to get into you know, what that really means. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a bit more about your personal story. What is your background with money? How did you get to this place where you're helping other people deal with the overwhelming aspects of personal finance? So I, when I was in college, I was working at a boutique bank. I was in the capital markets division. And it was a, jam, a job I just kind of landed into. That sounds um, complicated, Capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was I was a women's studies and sociology double major, so I was not um, really interested in finance by any means. But I needed a job to pay for college, and I had I had known someone at this bank, and they got me a job, and I kind of just worked my way up the ladder. But I had graduated into the Great Recession, so I I had so while I didn't really want to be in the financial industry, I felt kind of stuck there because I needed the money because I had about fifty thousand dollars of student loans, car loan, and credit card debt. So I had some bills to pay, and I was an adult and I wanted like to buy things that I wanted to buy. Like I had my own money, so I wanted to buy things that I enjoyed. I wanted to eat out and hang out with friends and do all that good stuff. And I was a little bitter about the financial collapse. So, mm-hmm. and I was in a bank. So, and I, and I saw, it was, I was in capital markets, which is um, mortgage related. So it was almost like ground zero of the collapse. And I saw like all the, the mess and how um, kind of predatory financial products were. And mm-hmm. you know, there, there was, everything seemed kind of like, like it was setting us up to fail and I was set on learning everything so that I could kind of beat these banks at their own game. And that's, that was like my incentive, like when I first got involved in this and then it kind of took off from there. So, okay. So you studied sociology, you said, right? Yeah. And then you're the, you know, in the recession, you'd graduate into the recession and then you get this crazy financial job that you don't really want to do, but you decide to do it. (laughs) So what was the, what kind of traditional advice were you getting that was just driving you crazy? Like what were the things that you were hearing that was either confusing you or you thought was like, this is nonsense. Like, what is this? What are the things that you just felt didn't make sense? So I think the whole budgeting piece was very difficult for me because there was so much variation in my expenses. So like I had my fixed payments of like my car payment and student loans and, and that, and 
like my Netflix subscription, like that kind of stuff. But then how much I spent on food and going out and entertainment and clothes and, and medical co-pays and all that kind of stuff was highly variable. So as much as I tried to project how much I would spend and, and set like boundaries around that so that I could save as much of my paycheck as possible, it didn't, it just nothing fit that mold perfectly. And I would get really frustrated and I'd feel like I was failing. And even though my savings was growing, I never felt good about my finances. It always felt like it was this struggle and I wasn't getting ahead fast enough. And, and I think like, and I, and I was kind of one of those like life hackers where I wanted, I I can, I am, I totally admit that I'm a lazy person. I try to take, (laughs) I try to take the, the easiest like route anywhere, but um, I was, I found that like all of these like finance hacks were kind of overcomplicating things where it was like, if you do this and set and set up this system here and, and, and you do that and, and hide this money in, in your freezer and like all this, these crazy tips and tricks. And I tried everything. And at the end of the day, like, or at the end of the month, like I still I, I was saving money, but I could have saved so much more. And, um, and I was, I was pretty frugal, but I was also very, um, not frugal about money I spent on like healthcare or, um, you know, things to keep me healthy and organic food and that kind of stuff. So I always felt like I was at odds with myself financially where like, I wanted to spend money on things I cared about and things that were important to me. But I also like wanted to set myself up financially so that if I lost my job or if there was another, if like the recession got worse or, or whatever happened, that I wouldn't be stuck and, and like the crying person on the curb, like how did this happen? So I, I wanted that like financial safety net. And, um, but it's, it's kind of like, like everything I've, I write about, like in the traditional personal finance world was very like preachy almost. and. Mm-hmm. It didn't like I. There were things I wanted to like enjoy in my life, you know. And there was no and I and I know like the millennial generations notorious for being like too YOLO and living in the moment and not preparing for the future. But like you have to enjoy yourself a little bit. Like you can't just save and and not you know because save and die. (laughs) (laughs) There's no guarantee that you're going to make it there. So um, you know. I, I didn't want to li- like live a life that I would have regretted in, you know, 60 years. But so, but I, but even though like I knew what my values were kind of, I still felt really guilty that I wasn't fitting into like that traditional personal finance mold or that like, if you read like the, the threads on Reddit and in on blog posts and stuff, like everyone's just so judgmental about, where everyone else spends their money and how they manage their money and what systems they use and what products they use. And, and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I just didn't feel like I fit in, but I, it was important. I knew this was important to me, but like, it just didn't feel like I belonged in like that hobby group, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would actually agree with you because um, I remember when in the early days when I was learning about money and I was taking it upon myself to learn about money um, and reading books and following other bloggers, personal finance bloggers, um, I did find that the traditional 
personal finance and traditional would be, you know, how do I describe traditional or how would you describe traditional? I think it's almost like textbook, right? Mm-hmm. The money, the, I mean, the money advice you would get from the textbook financial planner. Not that there's anything wrong with financial planners. There's a lot of new age financial yeah. planners <laughs> out there, but like, kind of like the textbook, you know, it's kind of hard for me to describe, but you ladies who are listening, you know what I'm talking about, where um, the financial advice I would read in like these textbook websites or in these textbook finance books were very much down talking and you were a fool not to know what a budget is. Mm-hmm. And I would feel guilty for wanting to splurge and buy something nice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that down talking and that guilt driven um, type of financial education has affected many people's mindsets, right? Because mm-hmm. even today, if I show up with something nice somewhere or I'm wearing something that's too nice or too expensive, there will still be someone that will say to me, oh, but aren't you supposed to be a personal finance expert? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that budget working out for you? Is what I get. Isn't that a Chanel handbag you have on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, it's things like that, but it's, that's not what, it's not about saving your money until you die, until you, you die so they could dig the biggest grave and put yeah. all your <laughs> grave with you and bury you with it. Yeah. It's about being able to live a balanced life and being able to have financial peace, being able to be, to buy the things that bring you joy in your life and go to bed at night without killing yourself about, oh my God, that credit card debt, that interest, I can't afford this lifestyle I'm living. It's about having this balance where you can live a life that you have dreamed about and make it your reality, but be able to afford that lifestyle. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And the other thing you said about the complexity around money is, again, that's very textbook traditional finance where, and I think, you know, I almost think that's by design in a sense where sometimes finance can be so complex and so confusing that it deters people from even wanting to get involved. And the people who do want to get involved are like, here, take my money and just charge me the commission and yeah. you deal with it. And then the establishment, whoever you are, if you're listening, <laughs> they, <laughs> they then are able to make money from the fact that they've overcomplicated, I can't, I couldn't talk. They've overcomplicated <laughs> this thing, you know, but mm-hmm. your finances should be simple. And a lot of people don't need all the complexities. Like when you're planning out your finances, you need a simple budget that works for you, right? You need simple investments that tie to your long-term objectives. You don't need to be getting into all these complex complexities that you hear on the news. Oh, Forex, oh, Bitcoin, oh, this, oh, that. Everybody's trying to get into everything all at the same time. And when they actually sit down to look at these things, I'm not saying that these are not good investments. They are great investments, but do they really apply to the objectives that you're trying to pursue in your life? And given where you are right now with your finances, do they really apply to you? So I do agree with you there as well, because sometimes traditional finance, financial advice is very complicated and it's not necessary. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, I do feel that individuals um, owe it to themselves to break through the complexity and at the very least educate themselves so that they can be informed because, you know, whether we like it or not, the complexity is going to exist, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to 
know how to decipher it so that we can simplify it for ourselves as we make our own decisions. Yeah. And I think it is actually really simple. Like I think there are word, like terms that are used that are discouraging um, where like, like a 401k or 403b, like why do they have to be labeled as such? Um, and there's, or like annuity and, and there's all these terms that like you hear and, and people expect it to be really, com- and like I was the same way. I expected it to be really complicated. So I, like you hear those words and you kind of like almost go into shock where you're like, oh, uh, it's this is way too, I can't, oh, they were right. Like, I don't, I can't do this, but it's, it's really not that complicated. It's just like learning a new word and you're like, oh, that's what that is. You know, okay. I got like, when, when you're expecting it to be hard, it's going to be hard. And when you kind of go into it, like these idiots that like destroyed the economy made this up, like <laughs> I can probably figure this out too. Again, I'm with you. Yeah, you're listening, ladies. You know, don't don't let those big terms and those big language scare you. Um, just do your own homework. So when people start to use those big terms, you can you can decipher it and you know how to respond. Like, I think I've said this example before, but I remember when we were going to purchase this house, the house I live in now. Um, I went with my husband, and I was sitting in the mortgage broker's office, and. Um, she was spewing all kinds of nonsense, oh like my using I all know. kinds of broken <laughs> nonsense terms, nonsensical terms. That's what my yep. mom was nonsensical. And all the <laughs> acronyms, right? All like the till <laughs> and the eight feet, like, oh, it's all abbreviation. I mean, not that the terms were not valid, but she was, she was like combining terms on top of terms on top of terms yeah. Yeah. that did not need to be combined together, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I remember looking at her and as she was combining these terms to me, I was reversing them back into simple English. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, you know a lot about real estate. I was like, not really, but I've done my research because I've purchased investment property in the past. And you really don't need to make this more complicated because if I was sitting, because I remember the first time I bought my first home and I was sitting in the office and the mortgage broker was using those same complicated terms. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Okay. And I was silent and nodding my head and I was just signing here, sign here. Yes, sign here. Yes, sign here. Mm-hmm. And for, I didn't even really know what I was signing when I was signing my soul away. Yeah. And it's not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny how, like I come from the mortgage industry. So it's, I remember like giving these disclosures to my parents and I explained, I explained everything like line by line. And I was, and I was like, this is what it says, but this is what it actually means. And, and no one does that. And, and, you know, you're given like, and especially in the mortgage area where you're given like 300 pages of disclosures, if not more. And, uh, who actually reads that? And then we wonder like how this happened versus someone's like, well, it doesn't matter what this actually says. Just, you know, just sign. Everything's going to be fine. And, and we're like, okay, you know, cause I don't want to hold up, you know, I don't, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to inconvenience anyone and have them explain this to me, but <laughs> that's like, that's what I do with like credit card companies and, and banks and stuff is like, I'm notorious for calling them up and having them explain terms to me just because I'm like, even if I understand it, like, I just want to be sure and I want to like hear it. And, um, and I, and, and I do that just to make sure that they because they're like trained to to speak to us in ways that sell us products not to educate us yeah it's a sales pitch it's about helping the establishment make their money yeah 
<laughs> and I'm like, well, no, I want to like, what does this actually mean for me? Like in practice, like at, when I go to make the payment or what, if I like transfer this balance, like what does that actually mean? And like, if this, then that, like what, you know, what's going to happen? And they don't have scripts for that. And they get like very thrown off. And, and I usually get transferred to um, managers, but supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the answers to all this stuff, but like, I just can't help myself. Like, it's just like, cause I, I do this with my clients. I'm like, you have to, like, if you don't understand something, it's their job to explain it to you. Like you don't like you, you're paying them money for this. So the best, the least they could do is, is, you know, make sure you're an educator. Like, uh, they understand their own products, their own, their the only th- product that they're selling you, they should at least be educated on. So, um, so if I bake, if I have them do it, then you know, I make sure that I do it too. That's an excellent point that you made. You are paying them money for this. So, you know, when you are sitting in a mortgage um, broker's office or a loan, you know, you're talking to a student loan person on the other end of the phone, you're talking to a credit card person, um, you're in a bank and you're talking to that sales representative that's representing that establishment that is, you know, talking to you about a service that you're going to be paying for. You may not be paying them in the form of cash money where you're pushing the money across the table, but you're going to be paying them over time, especially if it's a debt service, you're going to be paying them over time with interest. And so you need to get your money's worth because you are paying them. And a lot of people tend to feel this fear or shame or, you know, they feel some kind of way when they're calling to ask about, debt services um, for whatever reason, forgetting that this is actually a service that you are paying for. When you're calling to ask questions about your credit card bill that you're trying to get rid of and the person is giving you attitude, I mean, I'm not advocating that you get rude and go crazy on the phone, (laughs) but I want you to to mentally check yourself when you start to get afraid of the person on the other end of the phone and remind yourself that, you know what, I am paying, like the interest I'm paying this bank, this mm-hmm. credit card company, this mortgage company, this student loan, it's what's paying this individual salary. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to let them make me afraid to ask about my student loan or my mortgage or my credit card. I'm not going to let them put me in that space where I can't talk about what I'm, like, I can't get the information I need to get about what I'm trying to deal with here. Like you shouldn't let anyone ever make you feel bad about the fact that you're trying to deal with your debt. So keep that in mind, ladies. That's an excellent point, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And that was one of the things that my mother taught me growing up, which has worked well for her is like playing dumb almost. And it's, and it's easier for, for women to do because we're like, "Oh, like, Oh, I'm just so ditzy. I just, I don't know how this happened. Like I, and and that's what, like if they don't explain it clear enough, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm such an inconvenience. Like, can you can you can you repeat that again, or can you say that in a different way? I'm just not, I'm just not getting it. And 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 they're like, oh, no, like, but but they they do it. You know, it 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 works. I get the I get the answer that I that I want. So you're a better person than me because I'm not sorry. <laughs> so the other thing that I would do when I was. Um, you know, trying to figure out my financial life is I was a queen of the For Dummies series. Mm-hmm. And when I was commuting to work, I would bring out my For Dummies book. You know, so I read a lot of personal finance books, but there were like just other random topics I wanted to learn about. And I would bring out my For Dummies book. And I remember being on the subway and people would give me like dirty looks for reading like 
the buying a home for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and I would look back, I'm like, what? You're a yeah. dummy for looking at me like a dummy for reading this. <laughs> yeah. For a dummy's book. So it doesn't matter, you know, as long as it doesn't matter what people think about you, as long as you're getting the education you need to be able to have those um, conversa- conversations in confidence. You want to make sure that if you're putting, even if you're putting your money down on an investment, that's also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, buying a home, you know, investing in the stock market, investing in a business, whatever it is that you can make those informed decisions. And even reading those books and getting the education, um, going through those complexities, those big words, those terms, those, you know, terminologies and things like that, you can look at it and then figure out ways to break it down in a way that you can understand. So I always try to make sure that, okay, I would read the complex things and simplify it for myself. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm speaking to someone about something, I speak about it simply. I don't know how to use big words. Mm -hmm. I'm not stupid. (laughs) It's It's not necessary, right? Not necessary. Especially with money stuff, it's really not that complicated. So, Michelle, what are some of the things that you um, do in your day-to-day life or you have done leading up to this point where you now help other people, you know, with their finances to help them avoid getting overwhelmed and to help them feel inspired to make the necessary changes to improve their finances and start saving money? Like, how do you simplify your finances, what are some things that you have done to simplify saving, paying your student loans, things like that? So I think one of the things that that I do that is different from like the traditional advice. So like the traditional model is like, you know, you have your, your necessary expenses, you have your not essential expenses, like the things you just want that you could live without. And you have like your goals, which is the money you put towards savings and debt. Mm-hmm. And I find that like, there's just a lot of judgment there. Like, like we all need, like when we go grocery shopping, like groceries, right? Like buying fruits and vegetables is necessary, but buying the chocolate bar might not be. So then it's like, well, what portion of the grocery bill is essential and what isn't? And am I spending too much? Like there's, it just kind of confuses things a lot. And we associate so much, we put so much judgment on that. So I take away the judgment and, and everything just is what it is. An expense is an expense is an expense. So when it comes to budgeting or or setting up our financial lives, I am a big, especially this, you know, my laziness comes into play here, but like putting as much on autopilot as possible. So like all the fixed expenses, they are like whatever your monthly fixed expenses are, they are what they are. Um, You can go through them and decide like, is what you're paying for actually something you still want to be paying for. And you can like, if you're, if you had that Netflix subscription or the gym subscription and you're not using them, like by all means, get rid of them. But for the most part, you know what your fixed expenses are. They're not going to change. They're fixed. I encourage putting like your goals, like if you're saving money or paying off debt, like setting that as a fixed amount and leaving like and putting that as like your fixed expenses on autopilot. And then you're left with this pool of money that you can that you have at your discretion to buy essential things like groceries and non-essential things like I don't know vacations or um, massages or whatever I don't know and just monitoring that money so it's like one thing you have to worry about rather than like all the things like like oh did I pay the rent or did you know did I like how much am I going to put on my 
towards my credit card balance this month? Or like, do I have, like, did, did I finish spending money? Like, is this how much I could put in savings now? We, or we have all these questions. And every time we buy a coffee, like that's another financial transaction we have to be aware of. So mm-hmm. I recommend like just focusing on that discretionary, like setting up the back end to, to kind of be going an autopilot or like even just on your calendar. So you know when to deal with something. So you don't have to keep trying to remember to pay that bill. But in the front end, all you have to worry about is how much you have to spend every week and or how much you're giving yourself to spend every week. Not just like, you're not just a victim of your money. You're choosing to spend this money on, like you're the one who sets these numbers. It doesn't matter like what, what any textbook advice tells you that you should be doing or should not be doing. What number feels right for you and how much, like what container do you want to keep in? And cause it's like, that's really all budgeting is, is a boundary, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, Oh, you like you, you're on a budget. You are not allowed to spend money. It's like, no, you decide how much you want to spend on certain things. And you're trying to keep it to that for whatever reason, whether it's to protect the money you want to put into savings, or it's because you just hate yourself. If you spend more than $500 on groceries every month, like whatever that is for you, whatever you like, whatever just feels right for you is how you should set those boundaries. And then just monitoring every time you spend money, okay, that's like, I have the $200 budget this week. There's $50. So I have 150 left and so forth. That That's great advice. Um, you know, I would just give one word of caution because you said, um, you know, your budget is not that you can't spend money, is that you you decide how much you want to spend, right? So if you, if you decide your budget for this month for five different categories is $1,000 and you're going to spend $200, or $400 on groceries and you spend all $400 on groceries and you decide, you know what, <clears throat> I'm deciding I want to extend my grocery budget by another $400 and you end up spending $800 on groceries, then you have to figure out how you're going to compensate for what you planned, what you had originally planned for the rest of that money. <laughs> yeah. So well, there, actually, there are consequences <laughs> when you yeah. don't stick to the budget. Yeah. But this is like when I, when I say like, I pool all of the discretionary spending in one group. Uh So like the grocery budgets mixed in with the gas and the movie theaters and all that kind of stuff. So that's like, this is how much money we leave ourselves to spend on whatever we want. And then like dividing that by, by like weeks. So, um, if you like have like a thousand dollars a month, um, like that's like, I divide it by four and a half and I can't do that math in my head. I apologize. But um, let's say there's only four weeks. Let's say we're talking about February. Um, so that's like two fifty a week. And then just like every time like you buy the coffee, okay, that's $2 less, like out of the two fifty. And you go grocery shopping, like, but knowing that you are aiming to keep your spending in this week on everything within that two fifty. So that way, like when you spend over, like if you... <laughs> you know, have a dinner party, dinner party, whatever, and you spend over on groceries, it's not so much that like your your grocery budget's higher. Now you have to lower your gas budget or your going out budget or like, and, and constantly like reallocating all that stuff. It's just like, here's a pool of money. Pace yourself, you know, kind of like, like mm-hmm. how, how are you going to make decisions that like keep your spending within this container? And the good thing about like looking at it you know, like a month and in a, in a weekly period is that like, if you have to postpone something, you're probably only postponing it for like another few days. 
So it doesn't feel like you're totally restricted for like, like oh, I have to wait till next month to, to go grocery shopping again. Like it's, I'm going to be eating ramen noodles for the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I do something similar, um, you know, so I have a discretionary, um, budget as well. Um, I do try to stick to a a fixed grocery budget, which I never do. So if you guys are in my academy or, um, you know, our Facebook group, I talk about my grocery budget all the time Mm because I can never stick to my grocery budget. You know, I'm just going to be full disclosure here. (laughs) So my my grocery budget is $1,000 a month. That is what I try to stick to for my family of four, two small kids. And that grocery budget includes everything. It includes not just food, but like, you know, just like more, it's more than just groceries, like household cleaning things, mm-hmm. paper towels, stuff like that. Um, so the problem with, I have with our grocery budget is that <laughs> <laughs> I'm the queen of testing something out, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's this new organic pouch. Oh, check out this new, you know, organic oatmeal, um, croissant, something. <laughs> oh, it's just, I'm going to test this yeah. out. So yep. I always end up going over my grocery bill by at least a hundred or $150. And then what happens is that I have to compensate for it in another category, which is, which luckily for me happens to be my eating out category because we rarely go out to eat. <clears throat> Not nearly as often as we did before we had kids, which yeah. is like four and a half years ago. So I'm like, oh, great. You know, so <laughs> In a way, my going out to eat budget is like a joke. Like I put it there because I know I'm going to go over my grocery budget. So I should really just extend my grocery budget and not have a going out to eat budget. But I, I like having the option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a buffer. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, yeah, that and that makes sense. So it's all about the simplicity and giving yourself room to error or room for error because... Mm-hmm. No budget is perfect, right? I'm admitting it. My budget is not perfect. If your budget is perfect every single month, please contact me. Yeah. I want to talk to you on the podcast. <laughs> contact Michelle. Yeah. She wants to get to know you. Yeah. Um, but don't, you know, you said something at the beginning where you would feel bad because you weren't doing something exactly like the traditional financial advice had said in the textbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not what it's about. Um, personal finance is personal. It's about you. It's not about your best friend. It's about you and your family and whoever you're working on your personal finances with. And you have to make it work for you in the way that applies to your life and in the way that it's going to make you guys have the best life possible, right? So you make room for error. You adjust, you learn every single month, you create the budget that's going to work for that particular month based on what's happening that month. For instance, Next week is, this is going to come out, come out after July the 4th, but next week is July the 4th. We're going to have people over. I'm going to have to go over my grocery budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm buying extra hot dogs and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> I'm going to buy fireworks and that's going my grocery budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about trying to plan ahead for that kind of stuff and readjusting accordingly and don't kill yourself because once you know where you went wrong, you readjust, you, you take a look at the past month, you reassess, and then you keep that in mind for the next month. Yeah. So Michelle, this has been awesome. Yes. I've had fun talking about this stuff. I'm glad that we've been able to laugh about the idiot bankers, but yeah. I mean, if, if we don't laugh, what, what are we going to do? Yeah, exactly. I'll throw myself out the window every time I go off my go over my grocery budget. <laughs> <laughs>
I will literally go to the fruit aisle and dive into the grapes <laughs> every time I go over my grocery budget. <laughs> That's so funny. So I'd love for you to share, what is your Clever Girl superpower? I love adding in my head. <laughs> You're a mental math person? Yeah. <laughs> are you successful that the vision, with that? I'm sorry, what? Are you, are you successful with that? Um, addition, right, yes. Numbers, right? Yes, addition, not subtraction, multiplication, <laughs> or division. <laughs> addition. So you are, you are an adder. Yes, strictly adding. I used to be able to do math in my head, and then I had kids. <laughs> like so many things, I used to be able to do well with my brain. <laughs> yeah, there's just no the bandwidth just did, like my it, life it, has changed. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, you know, maybe I need to start working. I need to start doing some of those mental brain games. You know, those books, Sudoku and those yeah. other things. Maybe I should get a coloring book, an adult coloring book. Yeah, Lumosity is a good one. It's like a video game where you. you what is it called? Lumosity, I think. Lumosity. Yeah. Is it like a yellow app? I think so. I think I have it. I just have never opened it. <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is download the app you don't ever actually have to open it or do anything that's that's and, and your your brain power will increase that way that's the next that's the next generation ashamed of myself okay, Michelle, I'm gonna open the app today I'm actually looking at my phone to see if I have it Still, yeah. no it's a, no I don't have this one this one is orange with a brain on it Okay, I'm going to put that in the show notes, guys. So ladies, if you're trying to, if you want to be able to add in your brain like Michelle does, <laughs> um, Lumosity, looks like a great app. It has 36,000 five-star reviews. Yes. I'm going to get that one. <laughs> so tell everyone how they can keep in touch with you. So you can find me over at theholisticwallet.com or on Facebook, at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash theholisticwallet or at the Instagram handle, holisticwallet know thee. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. So I hope you guys had a great time listening into this episode with Michelle. I had a great time talking and laughing with her. Basically, not every day so serious. It's all about thinking of how you can simplify your finances and how to avoid getting caught up in making things overly complex. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. And you can also listen to episodes on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. And be sure to head over to clevergirlfinance.com and check out our brand new platform, you are going to love it. I'll be back with a brand new episode soon. Thank you for listening.